Now, we are in the book of John. We are in the end of chapter 12. It is the end of Jesus' public ministry. At the end of chapter 12, in verse 50, that's it. The public doesn't hear what Jesus has to say anymore. From then on, it's, it's this, pu- this private explanation or this private uh, further dedication to his disciples as to what he came to do. So this is pretty significant because this is kind of the last thing that Jesus says publicly. And if you're new here, I want to remind you of what the book of John is all about. Verse, tw- verse 31 of chapter 20, it says that the book of John, John wrote these things down so that we might believe. We might believe not just anything, but that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. So that's the reason why this was included in the book of John. We also know that he did many things, so many things that John would say that he did so much stuff that like all the books in the world couldn't contain what Jesus did. But these things then are the top like 20 or 21 chapters of Jesus's life. I want to say this as we get started. Uh, I have a few prefaces as we get into our sermon today. The first one is this. Um, We have a high view of Scripture here at The Grove. What that means is that it is authoritative over everything, over my reason, over my preferences, over my desires, over your desires, over what you want it to say and it doesn't say, over what it says and you wish that wasn't there. Um, We have a high view of Scripture. It is authoritative over everything. And so when the Bible brings us to a passage like today, and we go, I'm sorry, did you say that? Yes, it did. And we need to understand that because this isn't my words. As a matter of fact, what I want Tim to do uh, as we get going, I've got like a lot of Scripture today, and we're just going to put all those pieces of Scripture up on the board here in a few minutes. Not yet. But in a few minutes, we're going to put all those pieces of Scripture up on the board so that you can just have them, write them down. You can go look them up later because I'm not making this up. I need you to understand I'm not making it up, that I actually have a Bible. It's right here in front of me, and we're just going to read from it a lot today. Now, I'm saying that because it's important for us to know this is the authority, not me. The Bible is the authority, not me. Uh, and not the elders of our church, not anyone else, not, other, not any other man on the planet. Instead, the Bible. So we say that and we believe that so that we can dig into deep waters like today. I've told a couple of people this already. Uh, if, you've got, if you've come to this gathering uh, with snorkel gear on, we're glad that you brought it. We are going to go underwater. However, you're going to need to leave your snorkel gear on the shore. We are providing some scuba gear for you because we're going to go a little deeper. We're going into deeper waters, and I want you to know that because the Bible is taking us into deeper waters. Did I lose you at snorkel and scuba? If you've never done either, snorkeling, you kind of go across the top, and you might dip down a little bit every once in a while. Scuba is like, I'm in it. We're in this thing. We got got equilibrium and everything else, so we're in it. So I want you to know that because we are deeper here than normal. Like, we don't usually go this to this depth. But the Bible's going to there, and so we're going to follow it. This is the beauty of, of, of preaching through books of the Bible, is that where it goes, we go. And, uh, and so we submit to that. So why is this going to be so difficult? Uh, because I think it's going to, uh, well, it's going to grate against our sense of what's fair in the world. It's going to grate against what our sense of fair is, especially in regards to salvation. Because Jesus, actually John, is going to explain some things as to why is it that they didn't believe like, what happens here? Because after all, I mean, we're, we're talking about 
this Jesus who came in as light into a dark place, how did they not see him? That's a great question that we have already discovered a little bit, but there's a difficulty here also because uh, it isn't just great against what's, what we think is fair, but we struggle with the authority of Scripture. We really do. And so I would say this, like we have a goal for all of our, our members or partners to be trained up in reading the Bible by the end of 2019. And so if you have a struggle with, the, the, with Scripture, we want you to join in on some of our Bible study workshops that we're doing online right now. We've had like 30, 40 people jump in on these Bible study workshops that are like from your home. We're doing it online, and we'll do it again come the new year. We want you to jump in on that's why we do it. But <clears throat> again, this, this is difficult because it grates against our sense of what is fair regarding salvation. But if we looked at salvation as something as how the Bible views it, what is fair is that we would all go to hell. I want that to just sink in. That's what's fair. I'm going to do a lot of this today. Like, we're just going to sit on that. That's what's fair, is that Romans 6.23 would say, the wages of sin is death. You have earned death. That's what a wage is, right? You you do something and you earn it. And he says the wages, what you have earned, what's fair is death. But the gift, the free gift of God is life, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is plain and simple. I think we prefer the latter half of that verse rather than the first half. But instead of just breezing over until the comma, you got to get through the first part that we truly have earned eternal separation, eternal death. That's what's fair. I want us to understand that because it's a simple understanding of what God has done for us. So as we get into John, let me remind us, we are in Jesus's holy week. Um, last week ended with verse 36, the verse, first part of the, verse 36. If you remember, while you have the light, Jesus is saying, I'm going away. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And then that verse actually continues on, still verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. So Jesus goes off into isolation and John picks up some explanation. Jesus doesn't come back into the picture until verse 44 when we find him crying out. Crying out. But before that, we've got verse 36 and 37. So I want you to understand this. 37 begs the question, doesn't it? Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Why not? Why haven't they believed? It was so obvious. We're in our 32nd week in the book of John. Welcome. We are in our 32nd week in the book of John. Right now, has it not been so obvious who Jesus is through his uh, turning water into wine, through healing a servant's son, by giving the lame the power to walk, by feeding 5,000, by walking on the water, by giving a blind man sight? And the climax of of it all is when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Has it not been so obvious? The answer is, I mean, I, I guess, but to them, no. Apparently not. How do they not see him for who he truly is? How do they not recognize him? And that why is it that they are not becoming sons of the light? 
I think that's what all this begs us to ask. I have one point today. One point. And it is this. The reason why all this will unfold for us is salvation really is. It really is by grace alone. That is not profound. That is a simple reminder that salvation really is by grace alone. So this one point is going to unfold for a little while. So just hang tight, okay? So verse 38, right? It says, well, verse 37, I'll read it again. So look at, look at this. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Verse 38, so that. If you're in our Bible study workshop, that's a purpose statement. The reason why they didn't see him was so that. It is for the purpose of this. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. What is John saying? He is saying that they didn't see him so that for the purpose of to fulfill Scripture. Scripture had prophesied long ago that they would not see Jesus for who he truly is. And to explain this, John is going to quote Isaiah two times. One from Isaiah 53 and one from Isaiah 6. Two very familiar passages with Christians today. So we're going to dig into this. This is going to be where we camp out. This is what happens, right? Isaiah explains two elements of unbelief. Would not and could not. If you're taking notes. He explains two elements of unbelief. Would not and could not. Again, this first part of would not is explained in Isaiah 53 verse 1. That's what he quotes right there in verse 38. So that for the purpose of the word, the scriptures might be fulfilled. Well, what scriptures are you talking about, John? So glad you asked. Right here. Isaiah 53.1 would say this. I'm just going to read it from Isaiah and not John, but it's pretty much the same. Who has believed that he has heard what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What is he saying? God's strong arm is revealed in Jesus, and yet no one believes. No one believes. Why? Well, Let's dig into Isaiah 52, 53, verse 2 and 3. This is why they don't believe. See, they knew this, so he just referenced the one verse, and they knew that they would just keep quoting 2 and 3. But because we're a little bit separated from that, let's go into 2 and 3. This is what Isaiah 52, sorry, uh, 53, verses 2 and 3 would say. It's up on the screen, I believe. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and know beauty, that we should desire him. This is all now talking about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces was despised. And we esteemed him not. So you ever like have somebody growing up with you and like they make it big? Like one of the girls that I went to college with is, like, created May books, which has been on Good Morning America I don't even know how many times. And so like to know her back in college and then to see her succeed as an entrepreneur like nationwide is just weird. You're like, but you're you. This is so crazy. That's kind of what happens with Jesus. He grew up amongst them. He's just an ordinary dude, although he doesn't sin, and so that's weird. Like he's never selfish or fight with you or punch you in the mouth on the playground. Like there's none of that. 
So that, but they've seen him grow up. They've become accustomed to him. They've become familiar with him. And now all of a sudden, he's going to be the Messiah? No, thank you. No, thank you. And so it's no wonder that they would not receive that kind of Messiah. The Messiah that was normal. The Messiah that was the guy that you knew growing up over in Nazareth, which there's not much that can come out of, good, come out of there that's good. Across the tracks, that's what the Bible would say. Not the across the track part, the nothing good from Nazareth part. He was rejected by men, but exalted by God, and they would not receive that. I want you to see this. I want you to see this because Isaiah saw this. 700 years before Jesus, verse 41 in John 12 says this. Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory. He saw his glory and spoke of him. So when we read Isaiah 6 in just a second, he saw Jesus in Isaiah 6. He saw the pre-incarnate Jesus in heaven. That familiar passage in chapter 6 of Isaiah when it says this, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple in verse 3. And the angel said, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of his glory, and it says that everything trembled. Isaiah was looking at Jesus. That's what verse 41 tells us. So he sees these things, and he explains these things, that not only could Israel, they would not believe in this Messiah, but now in verse 39, he says something offensive to us. Let's read verse 39. I want you to see it. Therefore, they could not believe. Not only would they not believe, but they could not believe. We keep reading in Isaiah. This is now 6.10. I'm going to read a little bit of 8. Isaiah 6.8 through 10. Don't, don't flip there. Tim's going to help us out. Isaiah 6. To give us some context of what he's quoting here, he's quoting verse 10 of chapter 6 in Isaiah. But I want to read 8 through 10. Here it is. So he sees the Lord on his throne. He sees him in all his glory. The angels are flying around them and they're singing out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. The earth is trembling. And then Isaiah hears a voice and he says this, And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us, Father, Son, and Spirit? And then I said, Here I am, Isaiah says, send me. Verse 9. And he said, Go and say to the people. And this is the quote. This is the quote right here. Keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Verse 10, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. What? Go preach. Here am I. Here am I, Lord. Send me. All right, I want you to go. And when you go, you will cause them to be blind. Boy, that's a frustrating mission. You ever felt frustrated in your mission with God? Like he's told you to go do something. You're like, man, where's the fruit? I don't know. Look at Isaiah's life. I'd say the fruit is pretty good. It just came a lot later. So here's what's happening, right? This is kind of crazy. 
Israel would not receive the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, the man of sorrows. And when Jesus came on upon the scene and he preached, you must receive the son to believe in the father. When he did, the hearts of the Jewish people were hardened. That's what Isaiah 6.10 is getting at. When you preached this good news, it hardened their hearts. When Isaiah did it, when he preached Isaiah 53 and he told the nation of Israel, this suffering servant is coming, it hardened their hearts. When Jesus came and he said, I actually am the Messiah, I am the Christ, I am the Son of God, it hardened their hearts because they would not receive the kind of Messiah that he was coming. But it also signals to us in their choice that they would not believe in God. We are okay with that. It was God's plan to give a Messiah to the Jews for them to reject him so that you and I could receive him. The hardness of Israel happened so that you and I could receive the good news of Jesus. Hard things in life happen so that we might receive from God. He might blind some so that you might receive him. That's, that's scriptural. That's here. I want you to see this. Again, this is hard stuff, right? I'm just trying to explain what this scripture is saying. It's fulfilled the plan of God. They had eyes that, was, that were predisposed towards blindness. And when Jesus came upon the scene, because it was not who they had expected, it only kept them in blindness. So we're, we're usually okay with the would not. Are we not? Like we're okay with the would not. They wouldn't, they wouldn't believe. They just wouldn't receive it. We're usually not okay with the could not. The could not really grates against us. But it's the same plan from the same God. So what do we do with this? How do we make sense of this? How do we understand what John is trying to get at for us? It's a long story. It's like the whole Bible, but I'm going to try and give my best effort at this in like the next however many minutes we got. So God created all things, Genesis 1. And in verse 31, he calls it all very good. God created all things and he calls it all very good, including Adam and Eve, right? The only problem is it didn't end there. He created Adam and Eve and he created them free, morally neutral, able to choose God, able to choose Satan. Don't, hey, you're free. That's what he says. First thing he says to him, you are free. However... Don't eat of that tree. Well, what comes, what, what comes next, right? We know that this, the enemy comes in. He deceives Eve. Adam is sitting idly by. We'll pick up on that next week with biblical manhood. Adam is sitting idly by, even though he had heard the command of God, don't touch that tree or else you're going to die. And he watches his wife go to ultimate peril. He doesn't know what death looks like. I think he's curious about what death looks like. And just lets her go. I don't know what death's going to be, but it's on her. And he takes the blame. Easy over there. I heard you. <laughs> right? So Adam and Eve were born morally neutral with freedom to choose good or evil. And with their freedom, they chose evil to obey Satan, a creature, rather than God, the creator. That's what they chose to do. So then we fast forward a lot of years into John 3, your favorite verse to put on a poster at the football game. For God so loved the world 
But the next verse says this. For God did not send his son. John 3, 17. Are all these past? Okay, perfect. So, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he might be saved, in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned. There, we were swimming in condemnation. We were already swimming and living in condemnation. That's why Jesus came. We preferred the darkness. We loved it. That was our home. So the Father sent the Son to come and rescue the people that loved the darkness. That's what it says. And bring them into the light. We were condemned apart from Jesus. Why and how? Well, through Adam and Eve, we were given a sinful nature. We were enslaved to sin. And so these are all scriptures that were just going to pop up rapid fire. Follow with me, though. They're all coming up on here. So John gives way then to Paul, who writes this in Romans 3, 10 through 11. Look at this. I want you to ask yourself at the end of this, who is righteous? Am I still righteous? Am I still good enough to get to heaven? Am I still good enough to have earned a relationship with God? 310, none is righteous. No, not one. Love that he repeats himself. No one understands. No one seeks for God. I love that he does that. I'm going to keep going. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So who is good? No one. This gives way to our sinful nature, giving us Romans 5. Therefore, it says this in verse 12 of Romans 5. Just as sin came into the world through one man, that would be Adam, and death through sin, we earned death, so death spread to all men because all sinned. You and I have sinned. But the good news, it will come later. We got to sit in this bad news for a minute. So Romans 6 gives way and he says, you were once slaves to sin. That's all you could do was sin. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 would say this, not only were you only slaves to sin, not only were you all unrighteous, that no one would seek God, no one could seek God. Ephesians 2, the reason why you couldn't seek God is because you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That would be Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, just doing whatever you want. And you, my friends, me, my friends, you were all by nature children of wrath, like everybody else. But when Jesus came, God's divine purposes unfold in real time. And some see the light and they get raised to life. And some see the light and they remain in darkness. Why? I'm still left with why. Was it because of dumb luck? Was it because of, they, oh, they're like, oh yeah, I get it. I'm gonna choose now to follow Jesus. Or was there something else going on? If we prefer the darkness, if we are, no one is seeking God. If all that we have is a sinful predisposition to darkness, what in the world happened? I'm going to read with you, I'm going to read for you and with you one of the most controversial passages in Scripture, and I'm going to try and unpack it because I think it gives us hope. It's Romans 9. So 
If you do have your Bible, we're going to read a little bit in Romans 9. And I'm going to pick up in the middle of this story. Paul is unfolding for us his desire that Israel would be made known by God. But that they would see Jesus and they would believe in Jesus. And he says, if I could just be cut off from all of the things that I have now accepted in Christ so that my brethren would come into the kingdom, I would do that. I would sacrifice myself, spend eternal, eternity in hell if my brethren, the Jews, would come and receive Christ. But I can't. I'm not the Savior. So what is it that gives Paul hope? What is it that gives us hope? when we're explaining the scriptures over and over and over again to people. Romans 9 would say this, that he's explaining and he's giving an example with Isaac and then Rebecca, and Rebecca would have two sons. Do you remember their names? I'll give them to you. Jacob and Esau, twins in the womb, twins wrestling it out in the womb. That's what the Bible will say in Genesis. Jacob and Esau. We got a lot of Jacobs in the world. I don't see anybody naming their sons Esau. What's up with that? Actually, I know what's up with that. If we read, if we read the rest of Genesis, we know exactly what's up with that. But Jacob is the bad guy, like, and he's the one that gets blessed. What? Esau, we all relate with as, as a guy. He's like, he's the hunter. And Jacob is the guy that's like the cook. And I'm like, bro, I want to go out and hunt. We, we relate with him. The Bible's setting us up to get our, our, our calibration of fairness back calibrated to God's center, not our own. So this is what the Bible says. Twins, twins in, in the womb. And yet, because it says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Jacob I brought into my family. Esau I pushed out. Though they were not yet born, verse 11, and had done nothing either good or bad. Get me on this. They haven't done anything. They're in the womb. There's not goodness or badness in them. They haven't earned one thing or another. In order that God's purpose in election, his choosing, might continue, not because of works. No, no, works are excluded. But because of him, because of God, who calls. Rebecca was told, the older will serve the younger. For as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. This is God's words. The reason why I'm picking up the, the Bible here is because now we just read that God hates people. He does love all, but for those who will reject his son, he will send to eternal damnation. And that will be his expression of love giving its way to hate, giving its way to separation. Verse 14. What shall we say then? If this is all because of God's purposes and all because of God's choosing, what are we going to say to this? This feels like you're really unjust, God. Almost like Paul knew where we were going in our minds. What shall we say then? Is there an injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, right? But on God who has mercy. We're talking about salvation here, y'all. 
It depends on God who has mercy. For the scripture, he's always appealing to scripture. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, Pharaoh, that I might show my power. God is saying, you think you're powerful, Pharaoh? <laughs> I've raised you up to show you my power in you. And that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God would so destroy a nation so that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. Told you we were in deep. Verse 18. So when he has mercy on whom he, whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Hey, look, I'm not trying to win an argument here with y'all. Trying to explain to you why we have hope. It's not because of our own goodness. It's not because of our own badness that we don't have hope. It's because of the mercies of God. So we keep reading. Because right now some of us are asking this question. Verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault with those that are going to go to hell? If they can't receive, why does he find fault in them and send them? Good question. For who can resist the will of God? It's powerful. Verse 20. Who are you, O oh man? Who are you, O oh woman? Who are you, O oh human, to talk back to the Almighty? Who are you to answer back to God? Will what he has molded say to the molder? Will what we why have you made me like this? Do we say that? Do we not often say that in our hearts? Why have, you, why have you made me like this? Why have you allowed these things for us? God is saying, you probably shouldn't do that. In his sovereignty, he's, he's, he's molding you. He's the, he's the potter. We're the clay. That's what it says in verse 21. Man, I gotta get there. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump the same bunch of cells in Rebecca's womb. Has he, has he not the right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Does he not have the right? John is explaining to us, God has all the rights in the world to bring people in who maybe would not ever believe and to snatch out of the darkness those who could not ever have believed. And we have to go into this deep waters for us to understand what exactly God is doing for you. What has he done for you? These divine purposes all of a sudden come to life in Jesus' life. So faith comes now, not as a work, but as a gift, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 would say. Because if salvation was given as a wage, then grace is no longer grace. It's something we've earned. So condemnation and darkness and blindness is all earned by those who sin, which is all of us, and therefore we would not and could not see Jesus for who he is. Despite all of the signs in verse 36 and 37, despite him making himself totally available to everybody and totally obvious to everybody, they still would not and they could not. This is why verse 44 comes and rings in our ears 
Jesus is now seeing all this unfold in real time in his life and he's headed to the cross to pay for people to have the ability to see him, to bring them out of the grave and give them life. And he's crying out now in verse 44. Look at what he says. One final invitation from Savior Jesus for all of us to see him. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. It's the Father, verse 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Don't remain there. Don't remain in darkness. He's come so that we would not remain and come into the light. Verse 47, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him, for I did not come to judge the world. Why? Because we were already judged. We were already condemned. But to save the world, verse 48, no, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Who's that judge? The word. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. That word being, you cannot see the Father unless you see the Son. You cannot have the Father unless you receive and follow and keep the words of Jesus. Not in a works-based way, but because of, because of what we just read in Romans 9. Because we read in, in, in Romans 3 and 5 and 6. It's what we read in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and then we could read again. That he's, but, but, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. All of a sudden we can hope in that. Not in our own good standing, not in some, some work that we did, not in praying, not in giving, not in faithfulness. Because if we trust in our own faithfulness, what then will happen when we're not faithful? We will lose all hope. Jesus gives this invitation for all. He says this in verse 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak in verse 50. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And the public doesn't hear from him again until he's on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. So if you're saying to yourself, why then should we share the gospel? If it's all up to God, why then should we do these things called missional living, like bringing the gospel to our neighborhoods, to our networks, to the nations? We're sent out with that charge every week. Why would we do that? If it's all up to God, if Jesus, who knew what was in the heart of man, freely offered it to everyone who would receive him, why would we not do the same? It's the whole purpose of his coming. So if you are a child of God, you are a child of God because God brought you from dead to life, from, de from, from, from blind to sight. And the fact that he didn't leave you in your self-imposed blindness and in your self-dug grave is all grace. It's all grace. So a final word on this. If you still have issue with this God who chooses some and does not choose others, I lovingly ask you, where is your assurance? Is it in your faithfulness? Is it in your goodness? Because when you get done intentionally sitting, you do intentionally sin. I, I, I'm not the only one, I hope. I'm not the only one who, who intentionally still sins. I think we've got good company in realizing, especially from the Bible, that we all still intentionally choose 
evil just like Adam and Eve. So when we get done intentionally sinning, do we think that our efforts of intentionally getting better is what makes us right? Or do we realize in that moment, oh, it's all grace. I stand not before the throne of grace because of my efforts, but on the efforts of Jesus. Do you think that our efforts or our intentions to be better is what makes us right? Or do we appeal to the work of Jesus on our behalf, not just his efforts on the cross, but the spiritual reality that I just explained that he has truly made us new from the inside, working its way outside by the power of the Spirit? We believe that. Ephesians 2.4 would say this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, though we were dead, though we were following this Satan, though we were just indulging our flesh and loving what the world had to offer, God looked at us and said, I know you don't deserve this. Mm. You're coming out of the grave with me. You're my son. You're my daughter. Because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And if you and I still have an issue with this, I would just say, go share the gospel with somebody. You don't know the reality of the hardness of a heart until you share the gospel with someone and you make the gospel clear and compelling and concise and you give the gospel in love with, with a developed relationship, not just blindly, but with a developed relationship with someone and just share the gospel with them. And then they look at you and they go, I'm good. No thanks to the light. No thanks to Jesus. No thanks to good news. I would rather remain destined for hell that's how we know this is true because that happens on the daily. And so you get to the end of yourself and you go, oh my goodness. This really isn't dependent upon how clear I make the gospel. This really isn't dependent upon how, how like my, my persuasive powers. It's dependent upon God who's rich in mercy. So a couple takeaways. I know we're going long because this is what we do. If Jesus made himself clear, believers, if Jesus made himself clear and they didn't see him for who he was, the same is likely for you. You can make Jesus as clear as you want and there will be people that see it and yet do not believe. What do we do in those instances? We pray. We pray that God would have mercy on them. Some people also won't see you for who you are. If it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to you. You can make yourself, your motives, your desires for people all the more aware or, or, or clear for people, and yet they will still reject that intention, that motive. If they happen to Jesus, it'll happen to you. You cannot convince the blind to see, however. Even if they opened their eyes, they would still be blind. You need something supernatural to happen. The fact that a community of sinful people can get together and enjoy one another and love one another is a miraculous gift from God. So when all of a sudden people don't see you for who you really are, you pray. You can't defend yourself. You can't justify yourself. Jesus didn't do it. You, he prayed. If Jesus, walked, if Jesus walked away from some, this is my, my, my other takeaway. If Jesus walked away from some people who did not respond to the gospel, friends, it's okay to walk away. 
Jesus does call some people dogs and swine and says, just, you got to move on. He did walk away from the rich young ruler. He offered him eternal life and the rich young ruler took his words and went, well, that stinks. I'm not going to sell everything I got. And Jesus kept moving. And he, we don't ever hear from the rich young ruler again. We don't know if he ever came to faith. We don't know if it was after the resurrection. Maybe come, somebody came back around and, and brought him, helped bring him to life. We don't know. We do know that Jesus kept going in his mission to honor his father. And when people reject the good news, they're not rejecting you, brothers. They're not rejecting you, sisters. They're rejecting the Christ in you. They see the light in you. And they prefer the darkness. Remember that. So what do you do? You pray. Every time my answer is pray. You have no ability to change this. You pray. This is why prayer is so important for us believers. We get out on our knees and we plead with God. Make it different. And then there's this. Oh Christian, oh believer, if you've not yet opened your mouth and outed yourself that you are a follower of Jesus, you are in danger. Verse 42 and verse 43 say this. Nevertheless, many, so no one believes in him, right? And then verse 42, nevertheless, many, even the authorities, that's some of the Pharisees, believed in him. But for fear of the other Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. At best, this is a warning. At worst, this is a judgment. At best, it's a warning that your faith will be choked out if you seek the approval of man over the approval of God. And at worst, it is a judgment that your faith isn't real if you won't risk your standing in society, at your job, in your community, in your fan, family, by standing for the things of Jesus. So let me be clear, because Jesus is clear. The book of John is quite clear. If you want to follow Jesus, you will incur loss. And so be it. For we will have the approval of our God if it, even if it means that we will lose the approval of our neighbors, of those that we love, of our siblings, of our parents, of our sons and daughters. But let us be a people that continue to put our trust in the goodness and the mercy of Jesus. And that's all for believers. In it. If you're not a believer in this room, which I trust there are some non-believers here, Plead with God for mercy. If you stand before God on any good work, on any good thing besides the mercy of God, besides the, the grace of God, plead with him to have mercy on you. The Bible is full of this, passage, this promise over and over and over again. If you seek me, you will find me. Seek, pursue Trust. This is true. It's, it's authoritative. Even when I don't like it, I, some of this I don't like. Like I wish that I could change some things in life. We entrust ourselves to the goodness, to the wisdom, the purposes of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need your help. 
understanding these things. We need your help receiving these things. So Holy Spirit, make it so. Holy Spirit, provide for us clarity. Provide for us courage. Provide for us conviction where we need it. As we respond and as we go get our kids to come back and celebrate communion, we need to be reminded of your goodness. This is the good news, right? While we were still sinners, while we were pursuing our own desires and preferences, while we were pursuing our own definition of life, Christ had died for us. Not only did you die, but you rose from the dead. And in your raising, you gave us the spirit of resurrection. So raise us from the dead. Remind us that we're children of the light, that we have seen the light. And we go, oh yeah, I want to be adopted as a son. I want to be adopted as a daughter. Come, Jesus would say, become sons and daughters of light. Okay, we're in. But help us bring these recesses of our heart out of the darkness and into the light. Help us. We need you. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.